John chapter 16, it struck me that while Steve was sharing during communion, the first thing he read out of 1 Corinthians 11 was on the night he was betrayed. And I realized how much happened on the night he was betrayed. How much he taught that is ringing in our ears, that is still moving in our lives and challenging us 2,000 years later, what he did. I mean, this was all on the same night. We've been in here for weeks. And within the course of a few hours, even before the arrest in Gethsemane, which we start to get into this Wednesday night in, in the teaching, but just absolutely remarkable how much is contained in these few chapters that spread across the Gospels, but especially in John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, that is absolutely remarkable. And so in John 16, we're going to spend uh, one more Sunday morning in here talking about what we've been talking about. And when I was a boy, we didn't talk much about this. We didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. That was the subject of the theologians and other people, but generically in our church, we just didn't talk much about the Holy Spirit. I remember when I was real young, and uh, I first learned the truth about the Santa Claus story. (laughs) And I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, what's up with this? What's the truth here, really? And my dad, trying to let me down gently, I was, I think, 17 at the time, he said, (laughs) Was that early? What? He said, Rick, and I'll never forget this, he said, Santa Claus is really more the the spirit of Christmas. Now, unintended consequences of what we say sometimes as parents, what I did with that in my own mind, where I took that was, well, if Santa Claus is the spirit of Christmas, and I knew what he was talking about. He was talking about that goofy feeling we get, you know, when we see presents under the tree. He was talking about that that thrill when the first Christmas song is sung of the season or when the tree's going up, that kind of excitement, that sense of, of, of joy that, that can come with the season, the spirit of Christmas. I knew that's what he was talking about. But I made an immediate translation. Well, if Santa Claus is the spirit of Christmas, then the Holy Spirit... The Spirit of God is must be kind of the same thing. And that stuck with me a long time. That feeling, you know, we get in the middle of a worship song where we just kind of get a chill. Oh, that's the Spirit of the church. You know? Or that sense you get when you're in a fellowship of people and, and you feel secure and you feel at peace. Oh, that, that must be the Spirit of the Lord. I grew a little older, and uh, in high school, I remember going to a youth rally down in San Diego with a bunch of friends of mine. We mainly went to youth rallies to meet girls, <laughs> because that was the only place where we realized that people actually went to church who were under the age of 65, so we would go <laughs> my church growing up. So at this youth rally, I remember there were all these breakout classes, and there was one class simply entitled, The Holy Spirit. Well, that fascinated me. So I went. My friends and I 
By the time we got in this room, there, it was standing room only. The room was packed out. Everybody wanted to know what this guy was going to teach about the Holy Spirit. We were all fascinated, and there was something among us all that said, there's more to this than we understand. There's more to the Holy Spirit. That, that Christianity, for this to work, cannot be past tense. It is not the stuff of the first century. But is now. And I, I, I don't even remember honestly what he taught. And I know he taught from a very specific perspective. But I remember just that was what I took away from that moment was, no, not the spirit of the church, but the spirit, the, the spirit of the living God. Actual living, alive, moving, breathing Holy Spirit. And began, that I think was probably the moment where I began a long journey in trying to understand the work of the Holy Spirit. I remember being young in ministry and listening to teachers teach. Particularly in Southern California, I would listen to the radio teaching of David Hawking. Some of you have heard David Hawking speak. And I have listened to this guy and go, man, where does he get it? The insight and the wisdom and the understanding. And I would read the same thing in Scripture and just kind of go, huh? And he would unlock these things. And, and I thought, that is it's fascinating. I, I would listen to Chuck Smith. If you've ever listened to Chuck Smith speak, and we lost Chuck just, what, a year or so ago. But if you ever listen to Chuck speak, he's got that, that deep, low voice that really kind of, you know, very resonant. But as he got older in life, it, it, was, it was very straightforward as he would talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet... I would sit on the edge of every word. And I would wonder, what what was that? What is that? How do these... I know now. You see, the Bible tells us the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, the Holy Spirit... Spirit of God. As I've said in here before, I think many times the Spirit of God, think of it as, think of Him as the Spirit of God, as, and you would think of the Spirit of Rick. Well, what is the Spirit of Rick? A generic sense out there? No, the Spirit of Rick is me. It's who I am. You, you can't separate me out. I mean, one day my body may die if I am not called home first, and when my body dies, my spirit doesn't die. Who I am remains ever alive. The Spirit of the Lord. And we've been going through and talking about this. And and Jesus gives five paraclete promises in John 14, 15, and 16. And we've just looked at these, just trying to understand from what Jesus shared on that remarkable night. About the person, get that, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so one more time, let's read, now in John 16... Verse 7. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the parakletos, the advocate, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Skip down to verse 12. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. 
For he will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose to you. Spirit of the living God, in the name of Jesus, we pray to you this morning. So thankful that we have your abiding presence. That among those who receive you, Lord Jesus, you abide. You dwell. And Lord, I pray again, as we have asked so many times over the last few weeks, I I pray for our fellowship here. Not just that we would have revelation of Your Spirit or understanding of Your Spirit or knowledge of Your Spirit. I pray, Lord, that You would pour out upon us. I come asking, Lord, that You will fall afresh on this church. That we will not see Your Spirit as some esoteric, vague, distant thing but that we would see You, Lord, as You are. And that Your presence here would do all that You intend to do. All that You've described to us and talked about to us. Lord, I I for one, and I believe I can pray on behalf of our fellowship, we want that. We want as much as You would give. And Your Word indicates You've given Your whole spirit, Your whole self. You have poured out all that could possibly ever be desired or wanted. Well, Lord, for our part, we come to You and we say, we want Your Spirit. And we want to move in Your Spirit. We want to live in Your Spirit, yes, Lord, and also walk in Your Spirit, moment by moment, day by day, breathing in and breathing out. As we pray for each other, may we pray in the Spirit. As we relate one with another, may we do so in the Spirit. As we appraise this world, may we do so with the eyes of God by the Spirit of the Lord. I pray that your peace would come. And Lord, that you would teach us yet again this morning. And we pray knowing that your Spirit is the teacher. So we listen now with open hearts. To hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. In Jesus' name, Amen. Do not let your heart be troubled, Jesus said. Believe in God, believe also in me, John 14, 1. What about the Spirit? Well, the Spirit would be included in that when Jesus says, Believe in God, believe also in me. Because we're talking again about the Spirit of the Lord. And with these words, Jesus begins that upper room discourse on the night before His death. At that last Passover meal, ending in a ravine between Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives. And what the eleven struggled to comprehend was that Jesus on that night was not only teaching them, He was teaching the church for the age to come. Giving them all that He could give them at that time. But listen, more was needed. 
More was needed. And so Jesus begins to teach them about the Holy Spirit, who ironically would be sent to teach them about Jesus. This is the only time we have Jesus teaching the Spirit. From here on out, it will be the Spirit teaching Jesus. Teaching about Jesus. Revealing Jesus to us. But you might say, well, wait a minute. Are the words of Jesus then incomplete? If more is needed, aren't the red letters enough? And what if my Bible doesn't have the words of Jesus in red? Is that a problem? Listen, the plan all along was first for Jesus to come alongside humanity. The visual, audible, tangible, exact representation of God in an earth suit. To walk among us, move among us, show us God in the flesh. Hebrews 1 verse 2, in these last days He has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom He also made the world. He is the radiance of His glory. You know what that means? That means He doesn't reflect the glory of God. He is the glory of God. He is the very radiance itself of His glory, the exact representation of His nature, who upholds all things by the word of His power. That's Jesus. John 1.18 says no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. So that's what the plan was. But once explained, the plan continued that another helper would come alongside. One with the same nature as Christ Himself, the Allos Parakletos. Allos Parakletos, another helper of the same kind, that is, as Jesus has been describing, the Spirit of Truth. I remind you, only two share that title, Parakletos. Only two in all of Scripture, in five places, four right here in John 14, 15, and 16, and the fifth place given specifically in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. John 14 through 16, speaking of the Holy Spirit as the Parakletos. 1 John chapter 2 verse 1, if anyone sins, we have a Parakletos. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So that word Parakletos is only applied to two, the Holy Spirit and to Jesus. The Holy Spirit in the court of the world and Jesus in the court of heaven. He is the the helper in heaven. He is the strong advocate in heaven. The strengthener interceding for His people. Mediating as it were for us in heaven. But His Spirit is our advocate on the earth. Abiding in us. Promising to come upon us. And I want to repeat this when He comes upon us. I don't believe that's a one-time deal. Well, I was 30 years old when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and that was it. When was the last time you asked? When was the last time you went back before the Lord and said, Lord, I need a fresh anointing. I need a fresh outpouring. I need power to deal with something I can't deal with. I need words to speak, but I don't know what to speak. I need witnessing power here, Lord. Ministry power here, Lord. See, the Bible says your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. So where the Holy Spirit is, where He's involved, the people know. And I believe He comes upon us more than once, but multiple times throughout our lives. We have Him indwelling with us always and coming upon us as needed, when He needs, when He desires, when we pray for. 
He's our strong advocate, John 14, 16 through 20. He's our sure rememberer, John 14, 25 through 27, bringing to mind all those things, remember, that, that Jesus has taught. He's the saving witness, John 15, 26 and 27, empowering His people to be witnesses ourselves. His witness testifies in us, and we testify then in the world, even as He testifies in the world, convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And we've been talking about all these things. But He doesn't only reach the world through the testimony of believers. He he comes alongside the world, the straight-up judge. That was our study last time, John 16, 5-11. Jake prayed this. He doesn't come to convict. He comes, well, he comes convicting, but not to condemn, to convince. The conviction of the Spirit on the world to convince a person of their need for Jesus and His grace and His truth. Well, today we come to that fifth and final paraclete promise of Jesus. And for you note takers, if you've been keeping track of all the little S words, strong advocate, sure rememberer, saving witness, straight up judge. The number five, if you want to add this to this, and these are Rick's names, these are just ideas to get a concept across. These are not biblical names for the Spirit, but number five, you might jot down, he is the successive spokesman. The successive spokesman. And each of these understand, again, I am giving to you by way of mnemonic devices, just to remember or to paint a picture. The only name we have for the Spirit in the Scriptures is advocate, spirit of truth, no other name given. Well, there is another name, Jesus. So, with this in mind, the successive spokesman, verse 12, Jesus says, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I think in that moment Jesus recognized the apostles' eyes are glazing over. I've seen that look. You know, it's like... I'm not, about the last half hour I've been totally lost, Rick. I have no idea. I can't bear any more of this. Jesus says, I, I gotta stop here. But what he says, and we talked about this, is so important to recognize when he says, I have more to say to you, you cannot bear it now. You don't have the power to take it all in. You simply, I, I can say these things to you, but you will take it in the soul. You will not receive it in the spirit. You're not gonna get it. Because you don't have the power, the dunamai in the Greek. The dunamis. What's he talking about? You see, you don't have the dunamis, the power, by virtue of your own ability or resources or state of mind. You you just can't. The things I need to teach you, need to show you, want to share with you, you're not going to get it. There are things the world does not get, does not understand, because the world is thinking with the head, at a soul level, and not at a spiritual level. And I'm not talking any new age weird stuff, I'm talking the reality of our spirits to take into who we are, who He is. And so Jesus says, you don't, you don't have the power right now. Some 40 days later they would have it. They would receive power from on high. As Jesus promised, they would. These 11 men, Luke 24, 49, Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. You are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power, dunamis, from on high. You don't have power right now to handle what I'm saying. But Luke tells us on that same night, he would say, But I want you to stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. 
And of course, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power, he says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then things would begin to make sense. They would fall into place, not at a soul level, but at a spirit level. And the apostles would be radically changed because they could finally see. They would go from being blind men, following Jesus, trying to get what He was saying, trying to understand, oh, oh, the beauty of a flower. But they couldn't see with their spirit what He was really talking about until His Spirit was upon them. Until His Spirit was indwelling them. And then it was a whole new world. Then and only then would the teaching of Jesus Christ continue in their lives. But wait a minute, we have a slight problem we need to deal with here. Back in chapter 15, Jesus said, you can look at it, chapter 15, verse 15. Jesus said to his apostles, no longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Okay, so if he's already made known all things he's heard from his father, now he's saying, I have more to say to you that you can't handle. Didn't he already make all things known from his father? Now, I I get the idea of the Spirit bringing remembrance of Christ's teaching. John 14, 26 says, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. But it seems like this is more than remembrance He's talking about here. I have many more things to say to you. More things, additional things, which would imply things that you haven't heard. And yet he says, I've told you everything that my Father has for you. How does this work? It seems to me like we're going not to remembrance here, but to revelation. That there are going to be things told to the apostles that had not been told, or, or that they... Perhaps just couldn't hear. Maybe just over their heads. But before I go any further with the Spirit's work of revelation in our lives, please be careful. This is a dangerous area we're going to walk into for a minute. You see, in in the Mormon church, there is a theology called continual revelation. Continual revelation that whatever the president or the prophet, who is the same guy of the Mormon church, says, whatever he says was revealed to him from the Lord, now would become church doctrine and, listen, would supersede anything previously taught. Including this book. Which is how the Book of Mormon is justified. It's a new revelation that goes further than, and if there's contradiction, well, the old stuff has passed away. The old stuff is corrupted, they would say, and therefore the new needs to come. And the prophet of Mormonism, even today, can stand up and say, new revelation, and they've done it many times. Joseph Smith preached, taught, and lived polygamy. That was part of the deal. A lot of guys signed up when they learned that rule. (laughs) And within a few years, a lot of guys were leaving the church for that same (laughs) rule. I've told you, I have one wife. Thank you, Jesus. She's the best. She's wonderful. And it's all I can do to keep up with her. But that's, that's the idea. Well, now polygamy, no. Polygamy, the Lord has now told us that polygamy is, is not acceptable. There are fundamentalist Mormon churches that don't accept that and still practice polygamy. 
But this idea of continual revelation is dangerous. They call it the open canon of Scripture. A canon of Scripture is a collection. This is the canon of Scripture that we have here. The collection of all the books that have been brought together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Here, the Bibles that we have. And we can talk about that sometime for very good reason why every single book from Genesis to Revelation is included in the canon of Scripture. But it ceases there, it stops with this book. Along come the Mormons and they have what they call an open canon of Scripture. Warning, an open canon is a loose canon. An open canon is dangerous because anyone can come along and say the Word of God is open to revision. Let me tell you, by the Word of God, anyone who comes along and says the Word of God is open to revision is a liar. Because this is not an open canon. A very definitely closed canon. Now, today's culture, I'm sure, would readily accept and heartily approve revisionist Christianity. There are a few things that we really don't like in our culture today. Oh, maybe 50 years ago they were okay. But not today. Culture is changing. And as one female candidate said recently, religion must change. There must be some fundamental change. You know, our current president came along and said he wanted to fundamentally transform America. Now we have a candidate saying that she wants to fundamentally change religion. Now that concerns me greatly. I don't care whose mouth that comes out of. I don't care how much culture changes. The Word of God never changes. The Word of God is eternal. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I don't care if it's 2014 or 01. He is the same. He is unchanging in this Awfully changing world. And yes, I get culture changes all the time, but the Word of God does not. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I don't care who your prophet or president is. He can't stand up and change what I said. His words do not supersede my words. I get on my high horse about this, I understand. But let me just quote scripture to you to explain. Galatians 1.8 says, Even if we or an angel named Macaroni from heaven. <laughs> I'm sorry. And even if we or an angel from heaven, scripture says, Even if we should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. That verse right there, and I'm not just gunning for Mormons this morning. Mormons need Jesus. But I am gunning for Mormon doctrine this morning enough to say that that verse right there undermines the entire Mormon faith. Even if an angel from heaven teaches you a different gospel, he is to be accursed. The whole basis of Mormonism comes back to the angel bringing a new revelation to Joseph Smith. We'll curse that angel because it's not the truth. The Bible says, as we have said before, so I say again now, Paul writing, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? I might paraphrase that. Am I trying to seek the favor of culture or the favor of God? Am I striving to please men? If I'm trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And in the church today, we need voices standing up saying, I'm sorry if it offends, but I must please God before you. That's the way it is. 
And if you want to brush me aside and take me out, do what you got to do. But I will not sacrifice what God has said to make man comfortable. Revelation 22.18 John said, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. Have you read the book of Revelation? (laughs) And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. So, what is Jesus saying then? Back to John 16. He's saying... I have told you all things, John 15, 15. But here in 16, 12, he says, I have many more things to say to you that you cannot bear right now. And then he goes on, verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Okay, so which is it? Either he's done saying all he has to say, or there's many more things that the Spirit will now teach, will guide us into, which is true. Listen very carefully. He said, I will guide you into all truth. In John 14.6, Jesus had just said, I am the truth. What does this mean? It means the Holy Spirit will guide us into all Jesus. All truth. All that is true, all that is righteous, all that is and declares and glorifies and honors Jesus Christ. He will guide you into all things Jesus. Let me give you an example of how I think this works. He not only brings to remembrance all the things that Jesus said, but He unfolds all the things that Jesus said. McLaren said there is both a sameness and a difference between the seed and the wheat. There's a sameness and a difference between the bud and the bloom, between the bulb and the tulip. You know, you can look at a tulip bulb and you know everything's there required for that tulip to burst out. So is the bulb a tulip? Well, yes and no. And in the same way, the teachings of Christ could be compared before the Spirit was given to the bulb. It's all there. He's given it all. He's spoken what needs to be spoken. He's laid it out. Truth is truth. It's all ready to go. When the Spirit comes, He would unfold all of that. It would make sense. It 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 would come to fruition. It would open up. And just as the flower unfolds in perfect harmony with the seed, so the Spirit unfolds the revelation of Christ in perfect harmony with the person of Christ. That is, you're not in the Holy Spirit suddenly going to have some new revelation about Jesus different than how He is revealed in the Word. It'll be in perfect harmony. You can test any and everything that you are taught, please do, by the Word of God. You can always go back to it. And I appreciate that so much. Just a couple of weeks ago, there were questions on a Wednesday night about something that I shared. And and the questioner, okay, it was Lisa Armitage, but I don't want to name her this morning. (laughs) No, what I loved about, she sent me an email. and, And it was obvious to me that she searched it out. She went to the scriptures. She was questioning, thinking it through, challenging me and what I had said and making me rethink it. That, man, that's Berean mentality. That, that's, that's the kind of mentality that says, hey, I'm going to know this stuff because I have studied it and I'm aware of it. 
And it is so vastly critical because as revelation comes, you've got to know, is it in harmony? Because the Spirit is not going to unfold all of a sudden, here's that tulip bulb, and suddenly it unfolds and it's a pineapple tree. The Spirit's not going to do that. So listen up, buds. The revelation of God through Jesus Christ has been given, but the implications of Jesus in your life and mine are a continual teaching by the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Revelation is already given. But you know what? What I know of Jesus now and my relationship with Him is vastly different than what I knew when I was sitting in that high school youth rally listening to talk about this Holy Spirit. The bud has given bloom. The flower is unfolding before my eyes. And my own maturity as I come to know Christ is, is, is coming in concert with, with the teaching of the Holy Spirit and revealing to me things I didn't know before. I couldn't possibly have understood. And so, Jesus says, Revelation 3.22, in fact, He says it seven times in Revelation 2 and 3, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He is still speaking. There's more of Jesus to know. And He is the successive spokesman, the one who succeeds Jesus, who's not going to contradict Jesus because He is the Spirit of Jesus. And He brings us into a fuller and richer and sweeter understanding of Jesus, who is in and of Himself the truth. He says, when... He, the Spirit of truth, comes. He will guide you into all truth. Three three things here to note this morning. Number one, the Spirit gives faithful guidance. The Spirit gives faithful guidance. Today, yesterday, tomorrow, in your life, as you live in the Spirit and walk by the Spirit, the Spirit gives faithful guidance. Psalm 25, verse 4. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me. Or the Hebrew word there. Lead me. Guide me in your truth. And teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. And for you I wait all the day. Faithful guidance. Psalm 27, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. And lead me in a level path because of my foes. That Hebrew word lead, nacha, is the word. But the Greek word that's used in the Septuagint, the Septuagint, if you don't know, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. So anytime we mention the Septuagint, in fact, anytime you see the the abbreviation LSS, like in your Bible, if you see that somewhere in the margin, that's speaking of the Septuagint. Around 280 or so years before Christ, the Greek translation, the Hebrew Scriptures, were finally translated into Greek. Why does that matter? Well, it's interesting because when we see that Hebrew word, nacha, to lead, it's translated in the Septuagint to the Greek word, hodegeo. Now, hodegeo is what I want you to hear and focus on. That's the word used here. When He, the Spirit of Truth, comes, He will guide you. He will hodegeo. Into all the truth. It means leader. It means teacher. It means guide. 
Same word is used in Psalm 142, verse 10. Again, in the Septuagint. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit guide me on level ground. The Holy Spirit as a guide. And the idea is very much like that. He's like a tour guide. He, he, he takes you places that you may not have been before. I learned early on in our journeys to Israel that the tour guide makes or breaks the tour. That the best tour, in my opinion, that we ever had was the last one because we had the best tour guide we have ever had. We've had a couple of great guides. And we, we've had one or two that were, you know, one that was kind of in it for himself. And, and I could tell that because he kept cornering me, you know, asking me for little side trips into souvenir shops and things like that. And I knew he was getting kicked back. But Roni Winter who was our guide on our last tour and is the guide on our next tour. By the way, if you're not thinking about going to Israel, I'm throwing it back out there for you. The only reason we don't have the new brochures out is because we're working on airlines and they're being a real pain in the neck. We'll get through that. But the tour is set. Roni is set as our guide. He is absolutely amazing. Best we've traveled with. And the guide makes or breaks the trip. We see a great example of the use of this word, what it means in the New Testament Scriptures. Keep your finger there in John 16. Turn over to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. While you're turning there, I, I, one of the reasons I love Roni so much is that he worked well with me. He, every morning, every evening, we were in conversation, and even throughout the day, about where we wanted to go, what we wanted to do, what was going to happen at the next stop. And he'd say... Rick? And I'd say, yes. <laughs> Actually, that was Roni. Roni! Yes. <laughs> and he has that deep Benjamin Netanyahu kind of a voice. Yes, he talks like you. He's got that deep voice and tells you about what happens here in the country of Israel. You know, I love him. I love him. But he's sensitive to what the group needs. And he, he's calling ahead to make sure that we're going to get in when we need to get in and, and, and be in the places we need to be. And what I loved about Roni also was he stuck around for the teaching, which is awesome. Man, if we can influence some of the Jewish people in the land to hear the Word of God fresh and new, and he was there. He stuck with us. Well, the Spirit does that. The Spirit sticks with us. The Spirit is there. The Spirit teaches us The Spirit leads us where He needs to go. He's looking ahead. He sees what's coming. I'll get there in just a moment. But the Spirit is the one who guides us into all truth. Watch this. Acts chapter 8, verse uh, 26. Acts 8, 26. Well, go back to verse 25. So, when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up. Go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit, watch this, the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? Hodegeo. I need a tour guide here. 
I'm in a foreign land in this book of Isaiah. I'm not getting what's what's being said here. I'm trying to understand. And we find out actually from a little further here, he was reading Isaiah 53, which is all about Jesus. You see the Spirit's timing in this is perfect. Do you understand what you're reading? He said, how, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And then the, the story goes on. He's reading Isaiah 53. He reads the passage to Philip. Philip explains to him, is talking about the Lord Jesus who had been crucified. The Ethiopian eunuch hears. He receives. The Spirit is at work. He gets saved. He says, hey, I want to get baptized too. What's stopping us? Here's some water. They pop out of the chariot, go down into the water. Philip baptizes him and disappears. It's a great story. And we'll get there in just a few weeks. But the Spirit, the Spirit is guide. And by the way, this is so significant because the primary, not the only, but the primary way the Spirit guides us is through the Word of God. Bringing revelation to the Word spoken. To the Word written. See, You hear me pray from time to time, Lord, seal these words to our hearts. Well, that's weird. How's that work? Spirit of the Lord does that. The Spirit of the Lord seals these things, brings to remembrance, teaches all things related to the truth of God's Word, as with the Ethiopian eunuch trying to understand. And I would say if you're having trouble understanding a passage of Scripture, stop what you're doing, set down your Bible, look up to the heavens, and like Jesus, pray. Say, Lord, I'm not getting this at all. I really need your Spirit to instruct me. Would you send your Spirit to guide me into all the truth? Very simple prayer. Ask that, and my promise to you is that He will guide you into all the truth. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them, consecrate them, set them apart, as it were, in the truth. Your Word is truth. Your Logos is truth. So the Spirit guides in the truth. The truth of the Word. The truth who is Jesus. And as I said before, the Bible is not an open canon. We're not wrestling with a loose canon. The Spirit guides in perfect unison with the Word written and revealed in Christ Jesus. We were at a shepherd's meeting just this last week and we were discussing an issue talking about something that had come up that that was a concern to all of us. And and as we talked about it, and I appreciate this so much, Mark Harris said, do we have scripture on this? We were talking, giving opinions, and he said, do we have a scriptural reason for doing this or not doing this? It's not that we can't do something if we don't have a scriptural reason. Scriptures never tell us to build a barn-like building to meet in. Did we violate the Word of God? No. That, that's, that's subject to, you know, we have some freedom here. But making a decision, it was a great question and reminded me, wait a minute, do we have a scriptural reason for doing what we're doing? Or are we just making up our own minds? If we're just making up our own minds, let's pray about it. Let's seek the leading of the Word. But if we have a biblical reason, we need to go with what Scripture has to say. My friends, brothers, sisters, buds, You have an immediate tour guide through the Scriptures. And you don't need me. I hesitate to say that. I know I could put myself out of a job. 
But far better than any preacher or teacher you can listen to is the teacher, the Spirit of the Lord. You know what my job is here, really, honestly? It's to whet your appetite. It's to put enough on the plate, and I like to serve up a full plate. (laughs) It's funny, this morning I, I sent out the song list earlier, and I realized that the song list was Rise, Bread... Those are the first two songs. The third third song was, was it, oh, is that um, now Fall Afresh was the, the third the, New Mercies, yeah. So it was Rise, Bread, New Mercies, Fall Afresh, Watchmen on the Wall, and then ended with Jesus Paid It All. And so I, I sent out the list something like this. I said, uh, this morning we're gonna wait, we're gonna uh, start out with with uh, waiting for the bread to rise. <laughs> While we receive new mercies, he will fall afresh on the watchman on the wall, and the great thing is Jesus paid for it all. So, you know, the whole thing was, was covered. You should see some of the emails I send out. It's just not good. This is why I say, you don't need me to be your teacher. You have a tour guide who, who guides, who leads in, in person in, in immediacy. You're home, you're struggling, you're trying to understand. Ask the Spirit. John says in 1 John 2.20, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. You know this. 1 John 2.27, as for you, the anointing which you receive from Him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But His anointing teaches you all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you abide in Him. Just as it, the anointing, has taught you, you abide in Him, the Holy Spirit. Whoa. Okay. So how come Greg Laurie seems to get it, but I don't? How come John Corson gets all the insights and I just feel like a dumb bulb? Maybe. Maybe it's because you can't bear all the truth just yet. You see, we are the bulbs. We are the buds. We are in process. And the work of the Spirit in revealing Jesus to us and in revealing the truth is opening us up. But maturity plays a huge part. He is the faithful guide. He is faithful to lead you into all the truth. Maybe not all at once. And maybe you will have understanding. As I said before in my life, it's, it's so radically different to look over the years. I go back and I listen to old teachings and go, oh, what did I, I don't have any idea what I was saying then. Be a little different now. It's funny, people come up to me and they say, hey, Pastor Rick, um, you know what you said in, in Genesis 14, verse 20. Uh, could you explain that a little better to me? And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, uh, what I meant that night was exactly... I don't... That was so long ago. But I can tell you, in my own life, and many of you understand this completely, as you grow with the Lord, He unfolds this truth. The Spirit will guide you into all truth. Maybe not all at once. Maybe not all in the moment. You come out of the waters of baptism. Bing! I got it all. I'm good. No. You'll walk with Him. And as with any relationship, it grows and grows, and He is faithful. Stay with Him. Stay in the Word. He will lead you in this world, for He's faithful to the one who sent Him. He continues, He says, 
He will not speak on his own initiative. But whatever he hears, he will speak. In other words, my advocate who I send among you, he's not going to go off haphazardly. He's not going to be random or erratic or accidental. He's not going to be self-serving. John 7.18, Jesus says this, He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true and there is no unrighteousness in him. And Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit. He's also speaking of anyone who follows him. Let me read that to you again. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true and there is no unrighteousness in him. If you're seeking the glory of the Lord, contrast that, by the way, with the adversary. See, the Spirit doesn't speak from Himself. He doesn't speak from His own initiative. He speaks from the Father. He speaks from the Son. He speaks the truth of Jesus. But the adversary? Jesus said in John 8.44, Your father, the devil, He's talking to the Pharisees in that classic argument. He says, You want to do the desires of your father? He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in Him. Whenever He speaks a lie, listen, He speaks from His own. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan speaks from himself. And there is no truth in him. Because all he does is speak from himself. Well, the Spirit of God speaks from Jesus. The Spirit of truth guides you into all truth, speaking from the Lord Jesus. Who do you listen to? That's really the question. Who do you listen to? If you say, I listen to Oprah. I'd say, that's dangerous. You say, I listen to Joseph Smith. I'd say, whoa. You say, I listen to Muhammad. I'd say, "Mm." who do you listen to? If you say, well, I only listen to myself, you're being deceived. (laughs) There's only one worth listening to. And if we shut out the Spirit of the Lord, listen, if you shut out the Spirit of the Lord, there is another voice you will hear. A dark voice. A different voice. And it is truly not the voice of Muhammad or the voice of Joseph Smith or the voice of Krishna or the voice of Buddha. The other voice you hear, there is only one other that you will hear and it is the voice of the enemy who speaks only from himself. We're either hearing the Spirit of the Lord or we're hearing the Spirit of lies. It really is that simple. But if we open our ears to hear the Spirit of the Lord, He will softly drown out all voices of lies and deceptions. Gently, tenderly, He will speak to you and you will hear Him and you will come to know Him. Jesus says, My sheep listen to My voice. They know My voice. And they follow. John chapter 10. So listen to the voice of the successive spokesman, the Spirit of Christ. He speaks, guiding us through the Word, relating precisely what he hears from the Lord, which means, number two, the Spirit guides with full disclosure. Faithful guidance and full disclosure. Finishing out verse 13. Whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. That is prophetic insight, discernment, revelation of what's coming down the pike. 
Now again, so that we don't go off like loose cannons. This is not hocus-pocus tarot card reading. This is not palm reading. It's not ESP. It's not fortune cookies. It's not Sunday morning horoscopes. Please don't tell me you buy any of that garbage. We have a profound example of exactly what this looks like. The Spirit giving, bringing full disclosure of what is to come. Keep your finger there and go all the way to the far right in your Bibles, Revelation chapter 1. That's not the far political right. It is the far biblical right. Revelation chapter 1. By the way, if being a right-winger means I spend most of my time in the book of Revelation, I'm okay with that. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. Watch what happens here. The revelation of Jesus Christ, John writes, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. He sent and communicated by his angel to his bondservant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed or keep the things which are written in it for the time is near. Skip down to verse 9. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance in Jesus was on the island called Patmos. Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see. And send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Send it out. I can't even imagine what it was like on that morning for John. Except that he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What does that mean? It means John was having church. John was at church that morning. Wait a minute. But he was exiled on the island of Patmos. We don't even know if there were any other exiles on that particular rock. Perhaps just John himself. Maybe there was one or two others. Were they even believers? We don't know. If John was on the island, they probably became believers. John doesn't mention anyone else except the Spirit. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. No cathedral, no temple, no basilica, no barn. No structure whatsoever. He was just in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. He's got no music. There's no worship band. How do you do that? There are no wonky microphones hanging off his ear. Just John. No wetlands to keep watered. Somebody explain that to me. Be sure you water the wetlands. If they're wetlands, why are we watering? I don't understand. I'm a simple guy. None of this stuff that that we do. And, And I am so thankful. I've told you, I'm so thankful to Jesus for what He's done here. And that we have this building with some insulation and some warmth and we can meet in here. Praise God. He has done a marvelous thing here. But John was just in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Are you? 
Well, the band was missing some notes this morning, man. Were you in the Spirit on the Lord's Day? Well, the songs they sang were too loud. Were you in the Spirit on the Lord's Day? Well, I just wish they wouldn't be so... It's so funny. I, I'm totally going off topic here, but it's, it's funny to me to hear what people say. Because I can on the same day get it's too loud and it's not loud enough. I can get songs are too fast and why do you guys keep doing dirges? <laughs> Are you in the Spirit on the Lord's Day? Then guess what? All of this schmaltz, all this stuff, that's backdrop, man. That's canvas. Let the Lord paint the truth. In the Spirit on the Lord's Day. On a desolate, treeless, barren rock in the Greek isles, John is in the Spirit. God is Spirit, Jesus says. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Jude 20 says pray in the Spirit. So John did. And because He did, because He did, Jesus said, He will disclose to you what is to come. Because John was in the Spirit, Jesus disclosed the entire revelation. What is to come. That's how it works. See? Recognition of what's coming, knowing what's what's on the horizon. John did this, and because he did, the Lord disclosed to us all what is to come. How does that work for me practically? I believe it still works. I believe that if we are in the Spirit, that He will give us an inkling. I'm not talking about weird stuff. I'm just talking about a sense of where we're headed, of what is to come. I know where this country's going. I pray for our country. I pray for America. I desire revival. I would love to see this country return to, or actually not even return, go forward in the Spirit like never before. That would be fantastic. But I have a sense of where we're going here. Talking to a a police officer last week. No, I wasn't pulled over. (laughs) Talking to a police officer last week and he made a comment. He said, I, for myself, I believe that we're at the beginning of the end. Well, I believe we're at the end of the end, but that's just me. (laughs) He will disclose to you what is to come. He's going to give you a sense about these things. You will have an awareness. You're going to be even silly things. You're reading the news and you're like, duh. The newscaster is saying, we've just realized that such and such is going to happen. And it's like big news. And we're all sitting there going, really? I'm... Not surprised. See, because the Spirit has been disclosing to you what is to come. Number three, know this and we'll finish this morning. The Spirit leads in focused worship. The Spirit leads focused worship. Faithful guidance, full disclosure, focused worship. Verse 14, back in John 16, He will glorify me. Jesus says, He will take of mine and will disclose to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that He takes of mine and will disclose to you. Is it possible to overstate the importance of this? I don't think so. The single greatest purpose for the guidance, the disclosure of the Spirit of the Lord is the exaltation of Jesus Christ. 
A number one, He will glorify me, Jesus says. That is the sum total of the work of the Spirit. And if He discloses something that is to come to you, it's so that Jesus will be glorified. And if He faithfully guides you into all the truth, it is so that Jesus will be glorified. It all comes back to the glory and the honor of of Jesus Christ. And a true, authentic moving of the Spirit among a people will always glorify Jesus. On the other hand, every cult seeks to diminish Jesus and His importance. And anytime you see something taking place, even if it claims to be of the Holy Spirit, if it diminishes Jesus, it is not a work, a moving of the Holy Spirit. Because this is all about Jesus, gang. And He sends His Spirit to glorify Him. To guide us into all truth, Jesus is the truth. He's going to keep the focus 100% on Jesus and not off on all these other tangents where the world likes to go. So where Jesus is the focal point, the Spirit of the Lord is present and accounted for. He's the successive spokesman. He brings faithful guidance, full disclosure, focused worship on Jesus. Last question. Is there ever a time when the Spirit is absent? Ever a time when the Spirit is just not there? Turn in your Bibles one last time over to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. If you're like, Rick, we're over an hour. I know, I told a bunch of side stories, so, you know. (laughs) It's not an apology. It's just the way it is. Sorry. (laughs) Revelation 21, verse 22. Look at this. Speaking of New Jerusalem, which is going to be a whole lot better than New York, New Jersey, or New anything else. New Jerusalem and the new heavens and the new earth. John writes, I saw no temple in it, for watch this, the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it and its lamp is the Lamb. Skip down to chapter 22, verse 1. Then he showed me a river of the water of life clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night, They will not have need of the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. And and when we read this, Revelation 21 and 22, if you read the whole thing through, what you find is we see the Lord God Almighty and we see the Lamb a number of times. But where's the Spirit? Where's the Holy Spirit? He's there. He's there by implication. Note again, verse 1 of 22, He showed me a river of what? 
of the water of life. Now I believe this is a real river and these are real trees and this is an actual creative work of God that we will dwell in and see and experience at a level so far beyond anything we can imagine. It's going to blow our ever-loving minds. But when he says he shows me a river of the water of life, the implication is the Spirit is still flowing. Implication. But what's marvelous to me is the last mention of the Spirit of God in the Bible, we hear Him speaking, and He is speaking in concert with the bride. Verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. Listen. The Spirit is not absent from New Jerusalem. Why? Because the Bride is there. Because the Bride is there. Because the church is in New Jerusalem. Therefore, the Spirit is in New Jerusalem. What are you saying, Rick? I'm saying once the Holy Spirit is given to the Bride, He never leaves her again. There will never be a time, brothers, sisters, buds, there will never be a time in your life, from now throughout eternity, where the Spirit leaves you absent. Because He's given to the church. He is given to dwell within the bride of Jesus. He is in us. He comes alongside us. He is poured out upon us. The Spirit of the living God who never leaves. Psalm 142 verse 10 says, Teach me to do your will. You are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Father, this morning, we just pray thanks for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Thanks for for coming and, and making our hearts into an abode. A place where you would reside. Thank You, Lord. And we praise You and we glorify You that we have a heavenly home being prepared wherein we will be with Jesus and when we go, Your Spirit who indwells us, who abides with us, comes with us. And Lord, when we come back with Jesus and rule and reign for a thousand years in the Millennial Kingdom, Your Spirit abides with us. And even out there in that glorious distant future you will be with us forever I I don't fully even comprehend now what that means we will be in your presence the presence of the Father and the Son and you will still indwell us we praise you this is a, a mighty amazing truth you do not leave your people alone In Jesus we thank you. Amen. Let's stand up together. The Spirit and the Bride have a one word message. Come. Whatever your need. If you have never received the gift of the Holy Spirit. You feel like there's, man there's an absence there in my life. Come. Come and have one of our our prayer team and prayer team come on up. 
have one of our prayer team pray with you. If you have never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, come. The Spirit is saying to you this morning, come. Find your salvation in Jesus. If your heart is broken, if your life is a little messy, if you're dealing with some physical need of healing, whatever your need is, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Would you come this morning? Thank you.